Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, it's Luke 6, 27 to 34. So just took a moment to get that out if you want to. Um, yeah. But to you who are willing, listen. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would, do, as you would like them to do to you. If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Uh, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward will be from heaven. Oh, then your reward from heaven will be very great and you'll be truly acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes. That's what it says. <laughs> okay. No worries, thank you. Hopefully, hopefully I can shed some light on that this evening. We'll see how we go. So this evening, we are continuing our series on the commands of Jesus. And in particular this evening, we're going to be looking at one that's particularly hard to take. It's something that I find difficult to want to do, let alone actually do it. Love your enemies. It's not an easy thing. It seems to really go against the grain. And if we were to conduct a survey tonight, I am sure that there would be a near unanimous agreement, if not a unanimous agreement, that there's some people in our lives that are incredibly hard to get along with. Just ask my wife. She's here tonight. You can ask her. But as we look at this topic tonight, it's clearly evident that we do not have a choice. We are called and commanded to love our enemies. So before we get into it, I just want to pray. Let's just pause. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence in this place this evening. Thank you, Lord, that we can be blessed by our youth, our young people, Lord, as they worship with us tonight. Thank you, Lord, that they're willing to serve us in that way. And Lord, I pray now that as we come to your word, you'll give each and every one of us open hearts and minds to hear your voice, what you have to say from this passage of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So guys, we've got a few points. What happened there? Can, can I just have the back screen up, please? Thank you. All good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so our first point this evening is an obvious one, and that is love your enemies. This is the command that we've been given this evening. And when we look at what was said in Luke, it's, but I say to you, who hear, love your enemies, do, those, do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And it's very clear from this verse that there's no wiggle room, there's no way that you could interpret this different to what it actually says. We are called to love our enemies. And the reality is, it's very, very difficult in our lives to actually live this out. I'm sure you'd actually agree with me. But what is left unsaid is the fact that if Jesus is saying, love your enemies, there's an expectation that as Christian men and women, we are actually going to have enemies. 
Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus says, love your enemies, then they're naturally going to be there. That's going to be a part of our lives. That's going to be what happens when we live as Christians. And we don't seem to pay any attention to the verses that tell us that it's likely things aren't going to go well for us or that this type of thing is going to happen. And we prefer to think that we're not going to have enemies and we'll live peaceably with people all across the world. But John 15:20 says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is Jesus speaking, then they will also persecute you. If they persecuted me, it's natural that they're going to persecute you. And in Matthew 10, 25, it says, It is not enough, sorry, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, they're talking about Jesus, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those in his household? So if they're saying that Jesus is the prince of demons, which is a pretty awful thing to say about Jesus, how much more are they going to say the same things and worse about us? If we follow Jesus and I don't know about you but I actually prefer to be liked I prefer people to get on with me I prefer to get on with those that I come into contact with I don't like people not liking me but as Jesus says if we're his true followers we're going to be persecuted and he also warns us about living lives as Christians just to please others Luke 6 26 says Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And John 15, 19 says, If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And when we consider these verses and the ones that we've read earlier this evening, it's blatantly obvious That if we're living for Jesus, we should expect to have some enemies. And we should expect to have opposition to what we now stand for when we say that we stand for Jesus. And from what we've read this evening, we read this, Luke 6, 32 to 35. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do you notice the repetition in this passage of scripture here? What benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same thing. And what we're seeing here is this contrast between what is actually happening and what should be happening. And many people are willing to do good for others as long as there's going to be a return for them. They're willing to help those who'll help them. They're willing to lend to those who'll lend to them. And it is always with an expectation that there is going to be a return. That if I do something for someone, then they're going to do something for me. That's what makes the world go round, we're led to believe. And in the midst of this, we're also willing to only respect those who respect us. That seems to be the demand for respecting someone. And so we help those who help us. We give to those who give to us. We share with those who share with us. And those of the world say, why? Why would I and why should I do good to someone who hurts me? Why would I and why should I do good to someone who offends me? 
Why would I and why should I do, so, do you know, things for people who don't do things for me? And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like everyone else in the world. They do those things. They only do things for others when they get a return for themselves. And Jesus' point is that he's called us out of the world to live lives that are counter to what the world expects and believes and teaches. Before we met Jesus, I don't know about you, but I was pretty self-centered. And I was self-righteous. I did things for me. And I wasn't a particularly bad person. I would help others and I would do things for other people. But it was all about me. It was about doing things in order that I got ahead. And even when we were helping others, there was a view that somehow that helped me along the road down the, uh, helped me along the way down the road. And when we make that declaration that we're followers of Jesus, we're supposed to become more like him. Which means, because the one fundamental difference about God and Jesus over us is, he's not self-centered, he's other-centered. And he thinks of the other person before he thinks of himself. That's why Jesus was able to sacrifice himself. He thought of us before he thought of what that was going to do to him. And so if we want to be more like Jesus, then we have to start thinking of the other people before we think of ourselves. We have to be willing to sacrifice who we are and what we want to do in order that they be elevated and lifted up. Our lives and relationships are no longer about what I can get out of them, no longer about what I can gain, but it's all about how I can serve, how I can be more for you. And everything I do is without an expectation at all of any return. And this should be what separates us from the rest of the world. When we choose to live like this, people notice. They might take advantage of it. So what? We're still called to do that. And there are many testimonies about people who came to faith as a result of the witness of a Christian person who continually gave to them. I remember one story uh, it came out of focus on the family and, and the branch that deals primarily with those in same-sex relationships and things like that. And one of these fellows had been accepted into that community and he was very well respected within the homosexuality community and, and he was doing really well with them and then he got sick. And he got sick to a point where he couldn't do anything, he couldn't go out with them and they all dropped him one by one. And these two people came to this guy's house totally unannounced. They came in, they cleaned his house, they cooked for him, they did his laundry. They nursed this guy for about a month, two months, until he got back on his feet. And in the midst of that, they didn't say anything to him about who they were or what they did. They obviously gave, them, gave him their names and said, we're going to be back tomorrow and this is what we're going to do. And at the end of that time... They said, we need to talk to you. And they sat him down and they said, we are Christians. And we believe Christ told us to come and serve you and to do all this for you. And we, we don't want anything in return. Because he, he did want to compensate them for it. He said, we, we don't want anything in return. We just wanted to serve you. And that guy gave his life to Christ as a result of the witness of what those people did. Because it was a selfless sacrifice. Now, don't hear me wrong. That's not going to happen every time. We'd love to think that it would. 
But it's just an example of how living like Jesus did and serving someone without an expectation of return can actually turn their lives around. He's part of the ministry now with focus on the family and doing great work with them. But this is what separates us from the rest of the world. But the question is, who are our enemies? I mean, I could name a few perhaps. But when we are talking about scripture, we have to keep in mind that this is God's perspective on who an enemy is. It's not our perspective on what it is. So let's have a look at what God says. Romans 5.10, what's that say? It says, for if while we were enemies, we've, uh, we, okay, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And James 4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When scripture speaks about our enemies, it's not just talking about those who hate us for one reason or another. It's speaking about those who do not believe in God. It's speaking about those who don't follow the clear teachings that he has in his word. And when we say that we're following Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then his enemies become our enemies. So those who are not believers are our enemies. That's who has been spoken about in Scripture. And rather than being given the authority to call down fire and brimstone on, because seriously, I'd like to sometimes, we're called to love them. And if that doesn't sit well with you, I can tell you it only gets worse. Because part of loving our enemies is blessing them. We are called to bless our enemies. And Luke 6.28 says, bless those who curse you. When we look back at what Solomon says way back in Proverbs, he gives some pretty good guidelines on, guidelines on how we can actually do this. So Proverbs 25, 21 and 22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. I can do the burning coals. Pretty cool, hey? I could do that for my enemies. But the call here is to bless our enemies. And Solomon says that if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink of water. And you will heap burning coals upon their heads. These are physical blessings, blessings that allow them to be nurtured and things like that. The things that they need for basic existence. And we are called upon to provide those for them. And when you think upon the burning coals, what are you thinking? I'm thinking it's pretty hot. I'm thinking he's going to get hurt. What's it mean in this context? There's one possible solution, one possible reason for this to be put there. And I actually quite like it. When we think of those who work with metal in those days, they didn't actually just use normal coals. They had to actually heap the coals up so that the thickest metal, the most strongest metal, could be heated to a point where it could be worked and it could be formed into what it needed to be made into. And so when we live our lives in this manner... And we bless people who really don't deserve any blessing whatsoever. And we heap those burning coals upon them. We allow them to be pliable by God. And to be shaped into the person that he ultimately wants them to be. And I believe our blessings, when poured out upon these people, cause them to question why. 
I've seen this happen so many times. It's like, why would you do this to me? Why would you do good when I've done nothing but evil? And the kindness that is shown in the midst of anger and enmity is so unexpected that many people don't know how to deal with it. They really don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to respond or react. They want to know what we're doing, showing kindness and blessing those when the world's standards say they don't deserve it. It is showing undeserved favour to those who don't deserve it. God's undeserved favour to us is his grace. And he wants to live through us. And in showing undeserved favour, we're giving him a taste of God's grace. The salt and light that Dan spoke about last week. These people sometimes who are shown these kindness are so tormented by their actions that they've done bad things and they've just been blessed as a result. And they're so tormented by it that they just have to take action. They have to change what they're doing. They have to ask you why. And then we get this awesome opportunity to tell them that the only reason we did it was because of our Lord and Saviour. That by man's standards, yeah, we would have punched them back in the face. We'd have slashed their tyres. We'd have done all sorts of nasty things to them. But the Lord tells us to love and bless our enemies. The other blessings we pour out on others are in the ca- uh, sorry, in the case when they have wronged us. Jesus said to do good to those who hate you. Luke 6, 29 to 30 says, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. I I struggled with this verse for years and years and years. And again, I think I've come up with what this actually could mean. How did the people greet each other in those days when they greeted a Christian brother or sister or someone who was in the family? There's a holy kiss on the cheek. And you know, when we're told to love our brothers and sisters, and this guy, he strikes us, next time we see him, offer him the cheek. Greet him like a brother. Greet him as if he's done nothing to offend you. And that sits very, very well with me when we read this passage of Scripture. Because that's what God is teaching us. And the point here is, when these people do evil, unjust things, you're not to return in similar kind. You're to bless them. And it basically means if they do a thousand things wrong to you, you do a thousand things that bless them, or that are good for them, or that are right for them. And you may ask, why would we do that? An incredible thing is, if you understand your life before our Lord and Saviour, if you understand the grace that we are standing in and all that he has forgiven us, you'll realise that in being called to pass that grace on, the benefit that we have got from him, we can pass on to others. Jesus' love covered over all the things that I have done wrong and continuously do wrong against him. And he's called me to do the same for those who wrong me. And if I don't do the same, it's not going to sit well for me. Because he says, my sins are forgiven as I forgive those who sin or do wrong against me. It's the foundation of our faith. It's part of that incredible prayer. 
when someone does something really bad against me, and I don't know when, when I became a pastor, because surprisingly I was a very fiery young man, and um, that continued into adulthood, and I would seek an eye for an eye. In fact, I'd take two for one. But there's this, something happened. And a lot of stuff now is just water off a duck's back. It really doesn't affect me that much. And when people do wrong things or bad things to me, except when I'm driving my car, God's still working in that area, I, I can often just stand there and go, you know what? I was once like that. And I've been forgiven. God's just done so much for me. And I don't have any high expectations of people, especially people who aren't following Christ, because they know no better. They don't know what they're doing. And I often find myself, too, people talk to me about those who've fallen and those who've fallen into serious sin. And honestly, there go I, but by the grace of God. I'm not above that. You're not above that. And we need to uphold and support each other as much as possible. And keep in mind, we are all human. It's a level playing field. I'm no better than anyone else here. And you're no better than me. We all sin. And we all fall short. And we all need to realize that we have the potential to do all the things that people do to us. We may like to think that we don't. But the reality is we can't expect them to behave any different manner, in any different manner to what they are because they don't know our Lord. They know no better. They haven't had that indwelling experience of Holy Spirit who guides us so well. And for many, they haven't had any positive influence in their life whatsoever. You know, I expect that if I slip up, one of my Christian brothers or sisters are going to come alongside me and say, hey, Charlie, that wasn't real flash, mate. And... Bring me back into line. And you know what? I'm going to do it for you too. But I'm going to use a smelly trout. It's one of my favorite things. Slap you up the side of the head. But we need people to support us and love us and uphold us. And when we bless these people who don't know any better, either physically or materially, and by doing good for them when they do bad to us, we show them there's a different way. We show them that there's a better way. And by God's grace, maybe one day, they'll realize their need for a saviour. And it's that saviour that's been working through us and blessing them that they can approach. But if that's to happen to be beneficial to take the third point on board, we need to pray for our enemies. I faced a very difficult situation not so long ago and uh, I really felt that someone was coming after me and it was confirmed by a number of people that someone was coming after me and I contacted a guy called Edmund Chan, an awesome awesome man of God and I poured my heart out and everything that was going on he sent back a very short sentence do you pray for him do you love him couldn't answer that email for a while but it's true and if we want to get on with our enemies, we really do need to be praying for them. We really do need to be petitioning God. And you know, the worse they get, the harder we should pray. Luke 6.28 tells us, pray for those who abuse you. Abuse you. And you know what? I, I love praying. I used to always pray for people who abuse me. Lord, please let them get hit by a bus. 
And then there's things like Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So praying that someone gets hit by a isn't exactly what God would have us to do. That's self-seeking. I want the problem out of my life. But Paul tells us in this Romans passage that we're not to give in to evil. Even when someone's doing something bad to us, we're not to give in to that. But we're to cling to what is good. And our love should be genuine. And when we love someone... We want the very best for them. We want the very best for them. Can you imagine that? Think of these people that really rub you the wrong way. And if I was to say, I want you to one by one, just to come up here and just to pray for them from the pulpit and seriously just pray blessings upon them, the very best in their situation, that they'll be elevated and uplifted. It's not easy, is it? But that is what we're called to do. And that's what God expects from us. Because we're commanded to love our enemies, we have to want the very best for them. And the thing is that when we pray, not only should we pray for them, but we should be praying for ourselves. If we have this animosity and this anger within our hearts for these people, we need our hearts to be softened. We need our hearts to be changed so that we treat them more like Jesus would treat them. We're supposed to be growing more like Christ each and every day. And you know what? Loving our enemies is not something I can do. I would never, ever have chosen to do it. It has to be a work of Christ in me. I can't love those who attack me. I can't love those who attack my wife. Or my children. I just want to pulverize them. I want to do whatever it takes to deal with that situation and make my family safe again. But with Christ's help, I can love them. And that's what we're called to do. We're told to live differently to the world. It makes no sense to love those who would hurt us. But that's because I'm thinking like a man. It's because I'm thinking with my old nature. And I went through the waters of baptism, which symbolically said I've put to death my old self, the person who thinks that way. And I rose to new life in Christ, saying that I now live for him and what he tells me to do. And he said, love your enemies. And he said, bless your enemies. And he said, pray for your enemies. And it is only with him that I can get the power to love the unlovable. And the most incredible example of this was expressed by Jesus himself. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a number of commentators that believe that Jesus said this while he was laying on the ground and they were driving the nails through him. I don't know if that's true. Either way, he was being crucified at the time. And Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the crazy thing is they should have known. They should have known that nailing this guy to a lump of wood wasn't right. They should have known that this guy was Messiah. This guy had never done anything wrong. And yet Jesus' love is still poured out for those people. And he asks that God will forgive them. I don't get it. And 
Jesus doesn't command things that he hasn't experienced himself. Jesus doesn't command things that he hasn't had to wrestle with. And in the end, he has demonstrated and shown the most excellent way of doing it. And he's demonstrated this over and over again. And he still does today. He pursues those who hate him. I was one of them. And he leads them to the truth of himself. We're called to pray for those who mistreat us. And we need to pray for them. Because few else will. There's people who have no hope in this world. And we could be that hope for them. We need to release any bitterness, anger, heartache that we may have for them. For what they have done. And instead of thinking of ways of getting back at them, we need to think of how we can bless them. There's a guy called Chris Carrier. He's an incredible Christian man. He grew up in a place called Coral Gables in Florida. And in 1972, he was 10 years old. He was abducted by this man who had a bit of a grudge against Chris's father. And this kidnapper was so angry with his parents that he spent quite a considerable length of time burning Chris with cigarettes. And then when he decided it was time to dispose of him, he used an ice pick and pierced him through several times. Then he dragged him out to um, the Everglades and shot him in the head. It was six days before Chris was found. And miraculously, he lived. He lost sight in one eye. And the crazy thing is, no one was ever arrested for what happened to Chris. But in the late 90s, Chris got a phone call from a police officer and this man had confessed to the crime. Statute of limitations in the US had passed so the man could never be charged for the crime. But this man, David McAllister, was 77 years old. He was frail and blind. He was living in a North Miami beach nursing home. No one visited him. He had no friends. And Chris went and saw him. And Chris nursed him. And Chris cared for him. And Chris read McAllister, the Bible. And he prayed with him. And McAllister received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. Chris later talked about forgiving the man who tortured and almost killed him. And Chris said, while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, from my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spent my life looking for revenge, then I wouldn't be the man that I am today. The man my wife, my children love. The man God has helped me to be. We're commanded to love our enemies. It's a tough call. But there is incredible good that comes from loving our enemies and forgiving them. Hopefully for them, but more importantly for us. We can't let those who are unkind to us, who do bad things to us, cause us to be bitter or resentful. Or we can let the grace of God fill us to overflowing. So we can allow his grace, his undeserved favour to flow through us to others. I'm going to call the worship team back up. We're going to sing a last song.
and I'll close in prayer as that happens. Let's pray. Father God, you call us to love our enemies and Father, that's not an easy thing to do. You call us to bless those who curse us. You call us to pray for those who hate us. And Lord, we need you to guide us in how to do that. We need you to strengthen us. We need you, even now, to speak to us about those that we should be forgiving, Lord, those that we should be loving, those that we should be praying for. Lord, I want to pray for every person here. We have all experienced hard things, Lord. We've all experienced people who have hurt us and harmed us and been against us, Lord. Will you allow Holy Spirit to move here tonight, Lord? Help us to begin those steps of forgiveness. And Lord, for anyone who needs to speak about this, I just pray that you'll give them the courage to come forward and just ask for prayer, to talk through their situation. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that as we learn to forgive, as we learn to love our enemies, that we will experience a closer relationship with you and that we will be blessed as a result of obeying what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.